Good morning, everyone. I came with my wife. She's over there with a little boy on a lap, Valentine. Her name is Jezie. You can call her Jessie, if you will. It's easier. It's a great pleasure to be with you. I'd like to, to read with you John chapter 3. It's Jesus' encounter with a man called Nicodemus. John chapter 3. And the topic we're going to talk about is how to enter God's kingdom. John chapter 3. If you need a Bible, Bob over there has many Bibles to give you. Just, just ask him. John chapter 3 says this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he's old? Probably referring to himself. <laughs> uh, surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's room to be born. And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows whatever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it's with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are the Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's own and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that he may be seen plainly that what has done has been done through God. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And here's the deal. I have no remote for the slide, so I'll blink and the guy will pick that. Okay? <laughs> so let's try yeah, I did not blink, but that's fine. Okay. 
He's got it. He's got it in my mind now. The, the real question of this passage is, why must we be born again? Have you ever thought about this? Born again? Starting over? Starting from scratch? Our whole life? And plus, who is Jesus asking the question? He's asking the question to Nicodemus. He said very, very clearly, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless ye one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can we enter the kingdom of God? Well, you cannot even see it if you're not inside. The kingdom of God is such a mysterious thing. If you're not inside, if you're not part of within, from within, you cannot see it. And then you go to the next one. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter. We cannot see it. We cannot enter if you're not born again. So Jesus is not talking about something physical. He's not talking about a structure. He's not talking about a kingdom in, in England or a kingdom in Europe or a kingdom in Israel. He's talking about a spiritual kingdom. There's only way to receive the ticket to get into it. It's through rebirth. If you have gone through rebirth, if you have been born again, then you enter and you are born into the kingdom. And then you see the realities of the kingdom and you enjoy what the kingdom has to offer you. It's the kingdom of God. You can only experience it through rebirth. So, why do we have to be born again? And I'm gonna, I'm, I'd like to start by sharing a little bit of the story of Nicodemus. To be religious doesn't mean we are regenerated. That's the first thing. Talk about something with reputation here. Nicodemus, first of all, he is a ruler. <laughs> he's part of the political authorities of the day. Number two, he's a Pharisee. He's not only part of the ruling community of Israel, he's also part of the religious community of Israel. He knows the Old Testament like nobody else. PhD in Old Testament. He knows all scriptures from memory, from the heart. Number three, Jesus, when referring to him, have you picked up how Jesus framed him? You are the Israel's teacher. He is the most learned teacher in Israel that Jesus ever seen. Talking about something with reputation. Here's Nicodemus, the of the Sanhedrin. Here's the guy. Plus, member of the Sanhedrin, a community of 71 people responsible for ruling all the religious debates in Israel. In terms of curriculum, immaculate. No fault. Irreproachable. But there's a problem with this guy. He comes to talk to Jesus. What time of the day? Night. And then if you're reading for the first time, that doesn't bother you at all. Well, he comes to Jesus by night. What does that mean? Well, maybe he was trying to hide from the authorities. He was a very prestigious guy. He's just trying to hide from the Pharisees, from the Sanhedrin. Jesus was a marginal teacher. Nobody gave him very, very much credit. So let's go to Jesus and let's nobody see it. Let's just go in the night. Uh, but there's more to it. There's not only it. If you pass the next slide. In the, in the Gospel of John, to visit someone at night, or even in the Old Testament, 
when you're doing something at night, doesn't tell you or doesn't show only that you want to hide from someone else. It exposes the attitude of your heart. Let me give you an illustration. This man came to Jesus by night. That's Nicodemus. If you go through the book of John, you arrive at another character in the passage. Chapter 13 is Judas. Remember who Judas is? It's Cariotis, the one who betrayed Christ. Remember him? John says, so after receiving the morsel of bread, he, Judas, immediately went out. And John adds a comment, and it was night. So it's not only about the time of the day. Does that make sense? Are you, are you tracking with me? It's not only about, oh, it was 9 p.m. Oh, there's some darkness going on. But if you're still unconvincing, remember the king Saul? He was very disturbed. Samuel was giving him a hard time to be faithful to God, was a trouble for Saul. He wanted to rule over Israel, but he had some restrictions. He was just a king. And then he went to see a witch. He went to see a necromancy expert. So Saul disguised himself, so he's trying to hide, and came to the woman, the medium, by night. Not because it was dark outside, but because it was cloudy from the inside. He was experiencing the darkest night of the soul. Darkness is a way that John has picked to tell us Nicodemus is the religious with capital R, but his heart is dark with capital D. Does that make sense? That guy is going through the night to visit Jesus because his heart is pure darkness. He is inhabiting hell and life, but he shows up to the community as the most religious guy on earth. That's what Jesus is meeting with this guy. So now, what is Jesus' first comment when Nicodemus approaches Jesus and says, Hey, Jesus, nobody can do whatever you're doing, the miracles, the signs, if God is not with him. I know the scriptures. I know the Old Testament. Nobody can do what you're doing without the power of the kingdom of God living in him. And Jesus didn't give him a chance. Hey, man, that doesn't matter. If you're not born again, you cannot see the power of the kingdom. You cannot enter and enjoy the power of the kingdom. You talk a lot about things that you know, but you never experience it. So what I'm trying to say is, to be religious doesn't mean you regenerated. You participated in the new life God is bringing to the, to the earth. He's in darkness. And is that something common in the Bible? That you can have like an external shell of religion, but an internal darkness. All over the Gospels, for instance, in, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is with his disciples and then... Jesus said, in the last day, a lot of folks will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, we preach, we made miracles, we cast out demons, we did all that for you. What is Jesus' response? Depart from my presence. All you who are committed to evil, I never knew you. Never knew you. Never had a moment of intimacy Despite of all the religious shell, 
not a single day of true religion in the heart. To be religious is not guaranteed that you are regenerated. You can stay 90, 100 years attending a church all religious attendance to hell right away. Because it's not about religious attendance. It's not about religious dogmas. It's not about religious performance. It's about being born again from inside out. It's about experience with Christ. It's experience with the Holy Spirit. It's all about being born again and starting over your whole life, casting aside all the rest that you thought was life, and is starting over with Christ. Track with me? That's newborn. That's that, that regeneration. So, let's go next. First of all, Jesus counters Nicodemus' religious shell, and he confronted Nicodemus with his I mean, a lot of religion, overload of religion, but nothing about spiritual new birth. Now he's starting to talk about what is this rebirth all about. And according to Christ, our Savior, regeneration is God's work, cannot be fabricated by human hands. How does Jesus get at this? Well, Nicodemus has a question. How can this be? I should go back to my, my, my mother's womb? I, I, the guy was just trying to understand things materially. Jesus is talking about spiritual things. The guy is saying, oh no, should I go back to mommy? <laughs> I'm an old man. I cannot do that. The womb is so tiny. <laughs> How do I'm going to do that? Hey, Nicodemus. Flesh produces flesh. Monkeys produces monkeys. Dogs gives birth to dogs. God gives birth to the things that are spiritual. You need to be born out of God. We're not talking about a human birth. We're not talking about animal birth. We're not talking about material birth. I'm talking about spiritual birth. Not human fabrication. So what is Jesus talking about? So we have various metaphors in the passage, especially three. First of all, what, what is rebirth all about? First of all, it's God's initiative. You can try all that is available to you. Work hard. I will remake myself. I will fix myself first, and then I'll go to Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Because it's not human work. cannot be fabricated by your hands. Try your heart. Doesn't matter how hard you try. You can never work that out in your heart. It's something from above. Jesus says, unless you're born from above, unless someone from above touches your heart, this is not going to happen. Doesn't matter how hard you try. Doesn't matter how many times you come to church, you go to Yukon or you go to the Yukons, whatever. It's the God's work. It's something that happens top down. We need the Lord to do it for us. We need the Lord to plant a spiritual seed in our human heart so that the spirit will grow like a tree. From inside out. Does that make sense? It's something 
from the top. It's something from above. He's talking about his heavenly father. God has to start the process. God has to take the initiative for that to happen. But number two, it's like being born of the water. And here clearly pointing to baptism as the ceremony in which we see clearly what rebirth is all about. It's about God washing us away from our sins. It's about God washing us and bringing a new baby to life. It's all about regeneration. It's all about we are dirt. We are dirty. We're completely muddy. And comes the water of God and cleans our way and cleans ourselves. It's about the water of the Spirit. It's about getting your record your past record of sins, and just cleaning that, cleansing that, washing away your sins. It's a new experience of forgiveness. We just sung about that. It's the sweetest things, like honey. It's the purest water you can experience, someone coming to you and washing away your soul. That's what regeneration is all about. It's a work from above. It's like water washing you. Oh, boys. I, when the day is tough, when it's very busy or when I go outside fishing or doing something else, I come home stinking. <laughs> like, I need a shower. I cannot go to my bed with my wife, like, stinking this way. I need a shower. And then you go to the shower, and then the water is so nice. It's so refreshing. It's like the best experience in life, just shh. And then my, my shower, you have many options. You can, like, strong shower. You have, I mean, just... Just do whatever you want. It's just, I don't need water. I need water. <laughs> Same thing with God. I need you. Shower on me, O oh Lord. Give a rain. Give a storm on my soul. Just wash me from top to the toes, top to bottom. We need to be washed. That's the language of regeneration. And the third, Jesus also refers to wind. Three metaphors of regeneration. First, from above. Second, the water. Third, the wind. And what did Jesus tell us about wind? The wind blows where it wishes. I mean, I'm not sure how many of you like to play with kites and fly a kite. I grew up in Brazil doing that. You never know when the, the wind will blow. If it's blowing to the right, let's go to the right. If it's blowing to the left, let's go to the left. If it's blowing off, uh, you never know where the, the wind will blow. The same thing with the Spirit of God. I have friends that I'm preaching the gospel for 15 years. The wind never blew. I have friends that I met last week. I preached the gospel just once. Regeneration. How do you explain that? It's not human work. It's not human persuasion. It's not arguments. It's God coming down and blowing His Spirit over people. It's a supernatural sovereignty work of God. It's a mat. I mean, look at the Bible. We have experience of conversion all the time. And there's some guys who are resistant. They resist, they resist, they resist. And others are like butter. They go so fast. Remember the four soils that Jesus told in the parable. One soil, it's like concrete. Another soil is like a rocky soil. Another one's a lot of, remember the word, uh, thorns. There's another soil. It's like a prepared 
So you're ready to receive the seed. The wind comes. It blows the seeds and gives birth. So Nicodemus, you got to understand something. It's not about your work. You cannot fabricate this with your theology, with your words, with your efforts. You got to come from above. You need to be washed by the water and you need to be receive the blow. <laughs> you need to be winded by the Spirit. Does that make sense? It's the Word of God. So don't try to fabricate that. Don't try to say, okay, Pastor John, I get what you're saying. But let me try to fix myself first. I, I had depression. I had some anxiety. I, I'm not worthy to sit in the pews. Let, let me try to fix myself first. And then I'll come to God. No, come as you are. Come, dirty people. Come, your lepers. Come, your cripple. Come, and he will fix you. He will fix you. He will transform you. He will wash you. He will come down to meet you. He will blow away your sins. He will inhabit in your hearts. And then you feel like controlled by the Spirit. Sometimes God will say, go to the right, John. I'm going. I don't know where I'm going. It's like Abraham. Hey, Emma, go to the south. Why? Just go, man. I'm ordering. <laughs> you go. The Spirit of God is the same. And what an amazing thing to be led by the Spirit. That's what regeneration is all about. It's the work of the Spirit. Top down. Water washing you. The wind directing your ways. In charge of you. You're not in charge of anything. When you're regenerated, when you're born again, now God is in charge of your life. Whatever He tells you, do it. <laughs> Simple as that. And the best thing ever. So regeneration is all about, you want to see the kingdom? You need to receive two eyes in your heart. Otherwise, you cannot see. You need to receive new ears to listen to the shepherd's voice. You need to receive a new tongue to proclaim the beautiness, to proclaim the truth of his kingdom. You need to receive new legs to walk a new life. You need to receive new arms to touch him, a new heart to feel him. You cannot do that. Only God can. So this morning, ask the Lord, oh, Lord, give me new ears. Give me new eyes, new hearts, new arms, new legs, new nose, new ostrich to smell your goodness all over the place. It's a new birth. If you're, if you're trying by yourself as a human being to get, get to God, you can't, but God cannot wrap his arms around you if you're full of sin. Not going to happen. Number three, here we have one of the most intriguing parts of this passage. So Nicodemus asked then, verse 10, okay, Lord, I'm trying to understand what you're saying here. This is too much of a theology for me. <laughs> you're the teacher of Israel. How, how can you understand this? No, I can't. So how can I be born again? How can that happen? How can I receive that? And then Jesus told him a story written in Numbers chapter 21 of the people of Israel. He knew that passage very well. It was all about a moment in Israel they were rebellious against God. So they rebelled against the Lord saying, we don't want Moses. We don't want Aaron. And we want to go back to Egypt. In Egypt, we had nice onions and nice bread with garlic. 
here is just this manna, manna, it's bread, bread, bread. We want a, a different type of bread. And we want to create our own democracy. We want to elect our leaders. We don't like Moses. We don't like Aaron. We're going back. The Lord was very unhappy, to say the least, with that attitude. So Moses went up to the mountain, and God talked to him. Hey, Moses, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. I'm going to take care of that. So as a sign of punishment and justice, the Lord called all the snakes of the camp. And the snakes were very fiery. They started to biting people. Oh, my wonder. Imagine you're Netflix watching your favorite show, and then <laughs> first snake in your butt. And then another show, <laughs> snake in your tummy. Another one, <laughs> snake in your jaw, whatever. Snakes biting people started to die. People started to die by the hundreds. Real quick, they realized God is angry with us. We should repent. We should repent. They came to Moses. Hey, Moses, please go up to the mountain again and plead for us. Take these snakes out of here, please. <laughs> Moses went up, interceded for them, and then God said, okay, I will remove the snakes for them. It's very easy. Call the best artistry guy from the camp, the guy who is good with uh, works of bronze and stuff. I want you to draw and to make a serpent of bronze. Get the, the tallest pole you have in the camp, and that's the deal. Put the pole on top of the mountain, attach the serpent of bronze on top of it, right there. Very simple. All those in the camp that are poisoned, they have been bitten by the snakes. They have to look on top of the pole and see the serpent of bronze. The moment they look at that, they will get healing. The, the antidote will come from the snake itself. Does that make sense? And they will be healed. So there are three things here. First of all, why that kind of a weird thing to receive healing? Well, if they look at the serpent, what kind of memory they will, kind of, they will refresh? Oh, they're going back to the garden. Who implanted that poison into our skins? It was the devil. So when they're looking at the serpent, on the top of the pole, yeah, it's because of our sins. We were, she bit us. She bit, she, she bit us, so now we are poisoned. So they're looking at the curse. We are cursed because of our sins. But now the serpent has some distance from us. It's on a pole. It's not touching us anymore. So it's like a promise of hope. Hey, one day, all your sins, all the poison that is now affecting your health will go away. The serpent is under control. And you see the faith right there? The guy is pointing to the pole. I have to trust that. Look at it. To heal me. Got to look at it and trust that the healing from my sins will not come from myself, but from somebody else. Tracking with me? The healing from the poison that the tricky serpent transferred to me will come from another one lifted up on a tree. And here we go. On the cross. 
Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Hey, you want to know how to be born again? Remember the story of the snake, the serpent of bronze on the pole. One day, the Son of Man will be lifted on a tree. Everyone who looks at him will receive eternal life. How does that work? If you look at the cross, here you have a representation, Jesus' feet. Remember the promise, Genesis 3.15. From Eve, one boy will be born, and he will crush the head of the serpent. Where did that happen? On the cross. On the cross, the serpent thought, okay, I got him. He's now dead. I ruined God's plan. But by dying on the cross, Christ killed the death forever. By dying on the cross, we can say, death is now away from me. Because Jesus experienced it in my place. So as Jesus dies on the cross, the curse is canceled because the serpent's head is crushed. Number two, by dying on the cross, my hope is realized because death is dead on the cross. As we look at the cross, that's the invitation from Christ. To be born again, we got to look at the cross. Look upon, look on top of the cross. You see that man there, hanging in there. As he does that, he's doing it in my place. My death is going away. My sins are going away. And I'm being washed I'm being saved, and I'm being receiving the ticket to eternal life as he experiences my punishment, the punishment for our sins. So our hopes are now realized. We look at the cross. We see our Savior who canceled the curse, and now he's giving us access to eternal life. He's giving us the antidote to the poison of the serpent. And then... That antidote starts to heal you. That's our vaccine. <laughs> the only vaccine one does is the blood of Christ. The only vaccine that can take all the viruses of hell from your body. How do we appropriate that? How do I grab hold of that promise? Faith. And what is faith? According to Jesus, is fixing your eyes on the cross. And believing that salvation comes from a third party. Salvation comes from something outside of you. Salvation is a gift of God. Salvation is a gift that someone is willing to give you. Just receive it. Stretch out your hands and receive this vaccine. Receive the blood and cover yourself with it. When you do that, your past story is canceled. And a new chapter of your life is open. You start from scratch. When you have your eyes fixed on the cross. Not fixed on your belly button. Not fixed. Don't look. Fixed on Christ. My identity is in Christ. Don't look at your mirror to find who you are. Look at the Christ. I am a son of God. And that guy over there is my older brother. Everything now has changed. Because Christ redefines everything. He redefines our identity. He defines what sins are all about in our life. Forgiven. He redefines our connection with God. I'm now his older brother, so God is my father. And I have all the inheritance that the older brother has. So eternal life is also, I have a share on that. Face, 
our faith is fixed, receiving eternal life. I'd like to close with a story. I mean, we talked about Nicodemus. Religious, not regenerated. I'm going to talk about another guy, my uncle. His name is Mauro in Brazil. My, my, my grandma and my grandpa, they had around 14 and 15 children. So big family. And the firstborn was Mauro. So the oldest brother of the family. And my grandpa was a very rich man. He had farms, he has bars, he had a lot of land, and he was making a lot of money with his properties. But Mauro was burning the, mo the money of the family with prostitutes, with girls, with dancing, and with drinking. After decades of doing that, our grandpa's business broke. He went bankruptcy. He lost all his land. They had to move to another town in Brazil and start from scratch. And everybody in the family hated Uncle Mauro for a good reason. That guy just ruined our past, our present, and our future. And the guy just fled. He left us. He went to the interior of Brazil. Nobody had any information about him anymore. We stayed in one town. Mauro just ran away. And we lost touch with him for about 30 years. And then one day he came. He came home, 64 years old, 12 kinds of cancer throughout his body. Sons and daughters all over Brazil from different women. Broke. Debt from the top to the bottom. Ruined. Busted. He came to the family and said, help me. I'm going to die and I just ruined my life. Guess what was the response of the family? You did your mess, now you try to clean your mess yourself. Nobody, nobody cared for him because he, he just destroyed our family. Just one lady paid attention to him and invited him over to live with her. Guess what? My mom. <laughs> so overnight, from overnight, the guy was living in my bedroom. I was in the couch. <laughs> just two bedrooms in the house. One for my mom, one for myself, only child. So he was sleeping in my bedroom. I was sleeping on the couch, eating my food. And I, was, I just got converted. I was 15 years old. And I was always like, man, this guy doesn't deserve to be here. Doesn't deserve to sleep in my bed. Doesn't deserve to have anything. Doesn't deserve my mom just taking care of him. And then we took him to the hospital. The doctor was very concerned with his health, saying, we need to cut off his tongue because the cancer is spreading to his brain. We need to cut off. They cut off his tongue. He's not tongue anymore. So at least a good thing. He's not talking. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. It's bad joke. Bad joke. So they cut off his tongue so he cannot speak anymore. Just gestures. And then the doctor said, he has only two months of life. And then he's dead. My mom and I, we, we come from a Roman Catholic family, but just very nominal. Nobody trusts in Christ. Nobody believes in the gospel. Nobody goes to church. Nobody just, nobody reads the Bible. And my mom and I, we just got converted. We were just experiencing the new life of Christ. And then my mom said, John, we need to take this guy to the church. He needs to hear about Christ. He needs to be forgiven. And he needs to, to have a 
a happy death. That's the only thing that is left for him. So we took him to the church. Back in the day, my mom was attending a very, very ultra blaster Pentecostal church <laughs> where people were screaming, dancing, like being thrown to the ground. And that was very crazy for me. I was in the Presbyterian church, very like Polish, silent and quiet. She was just going nuts. And so we invited him to come. He was there. And one thing I didn't like about that church, they were preaching a prosperity gospel kind of message. It was all about getting rich, all about being successful. And uh, mom, I don't think it would be, I don't think that, that would shake out well for my, for Uncle Morrow. We need to preach the real gospel of Christ. And you're just listening to this prosperity thing. Uh, guess what? That day, the guy preached the gospel instead of the prosperity gospel. And then I was so happy. I was hearing the, the gospel from the first time from the mouth of the preacher. And then my uncle, he just hit me with the elbow. You want to go to the bathroom? I can't understand you. Please try to be clear. Oh, you want to pray? Because the preacher was inviting all the ones who wanted to receive Christ to come to the stage. You want to go and pray? So let's go. So I took him. He was there. And the preacher asked his name. He couldn't speak. I introduced him. And I was very clear with the preacher. I'm not quite sure if he converted to Christ or if he's just fearing that he's going to die. So you need to clarify to this guy that it's faith in Christ. It's not about religion. It's about faith in Christ as his Savior and Lord. And he confirmed that by the most extraordinary way possible. I'm not sure if you're reformed enough to digest what I'm going to tell you. He had no tongue. The preacher asked him, Mauro, are you sure you trust in Christ as your Savior? He started to speak. Just three words. Jesus, save me. Jesus, save me. Three words for minutes. Jesus, save me. Cry. Cry. And I was crying too. And my mom was crying too. And the whole church was crying a wretch like him, on his knees, receiving Christ. In that church, there's no, like, discipleship afterwards. They go to the water right away. So we changed his clothing. He put an angel's white robe, <laughs> and we went to the water together. Because of the drinking and all the things, he had no teeth, just two. One here, another here. One for the porterhouse, one for the, the pork, pulled pork. Just two, just two teeth. And then he went to the water. When he came back, he gave us the best smile. Just two. But the most beautiful one. He was saved. His eyes were shiny. He was regenerated. He came back to life. God came down. The water of the Spirit washed him away. And now the wind started to blow. From inside out. Tracking with me? Okay, next day, he went to our house. We had some visitors. Two of our aunts came to visit him because they gave him a diploma. Mauro Lima was dead until blah, 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 blah. Now it's born again. Like a little certificate. He couldn't say a word. 
his sisters would come to visit him, he would show the certificate. They were shocked. And we've got five family members introduced to Christ through a guy who has no tongue. That's the power of the gospel. So I ask you, are you just religious or have you received regeneration? Because regeneration, it's not human fabrication. From above, from the water of the Spirit, it's the wind blowing from inside out and change your life. I think Nicodemus got that because if you keep reading John chapter 7, the Sanhedrin is trying to persecute Christ. And then Nicodemus is trying to say, well, we need to hear first the accused and then give him a fair treatment. And then if you keep reading the Gospel of John, the last chapters when Jesus is being crucified and buried, remember who followed Joseph of Arimathea with him? Steve Nicodemus. Because he remembered in order to receive the cancellation of the curse, our hopes realized, and to appropriate by faith, we need to go to the cross. And he was right there for the whole time. Nicodemus was there all the time. Okay, now the serpent's head is going to be crushed. I'm going to be there. And he carried Jesus' body through the tomb. And according to the tradition, that's my son, by the way. And according to the Christian tradition, Nicodemus was a great preacher of the first century. He was born again, like this guy, one day, or maybe he's right now. So let's pray. Um, and trace your heart. Do you need regeneration? Are you just religious? We're talking about going to the neighborhood and knocking doors. You're not going to do that from your heart if you're not saved. Unless you're saved, evangelism will be a great burden on your shoulders. But if you're saved, it will be the greatest privilege of your life. Like my uncle Morrow, it will be the greatest thing in life just to point people to Christ, to receive the same water, the same wind, the same salvation you received. So let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be here the opportunity to open your word and to read the story of Nicodemus and to rejoice with the gospel being proclaimed to him and salvation has been part of his story right now. The guy who is in darkness, confused, completely lost, despite of all his religious curriculum and background, now he's coming to you, O Lord, and receiving the gift of salvation. And that's the same thing we ask you. Oh Lord, I cannot, I cannot see what you see. Your eyes penetrate our hearts. My human eyes, we cannot see, we can't see just the exterior. So I ask you to trace the hearts of every single person here in this morning. Oh Lord, give them your spirit. Give them this blowing wind to blow from their hearts to the world. Direct them. Give them this experience to be showered by the Spirit, this water that washes away our sins. And give them this experience to receive a visit from heavens, giving us new, new legs, new arms, new hearts, a new desire to live for you.
Because you told us, all of us who look at the cross, we will receive eternal life. We look at you, O Christ. We look to you. We look at the cross. We look at the serpents being crushed. We look at your blood being our vaccine to remove all our virus, all the poison that is contaminated our hearts. We look at you for salvation. Please, look at us right now and concede us regeneration. Grant us salvation. And may us walk for you, with you, alongside you forever. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you.